The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. All right. Well, good to see you all again. And uh, I am anxious to, to get to this Word in Scripture. And uh, before I do, though, you can go ahead and turn, if you would, in your Bibles to the 8th chapter of John's Gospel. John 8, we're going to be looking at verses 31 to 47 in a message entitled, Freedom in the Word of God. But as you're turning there, let me read to you, as I promised I would, from Psalm 33. I see this verse, or half of a verse, mentioned often. Psalm 33:12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And that sounds really, really good. But let me back up for just a moment and begin in verse 6, which is the beginning of the paragraph of which verse 12 is the last sentence. So there's several things that come before that. Here's what the paragraph reads from Psalm 33, beginning in verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart from generation to generation Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Amen. The people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. You see, there's a lot of backstory that goes into that really heavy statement, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. There's a lot of things that that nation is supposed to be and do that they might be blessed because their God is the Lord. So I encourage you because uh, there's hope. There's hope for us as a nation, as individuals, as churches to be that. To be the person, the church, the nation that is blessed because their God's the Lord. And, and just by way of introduction, that contributes to our understanding, I believe, of John chapter 8 this morning, which is our focus text, verses 31 to 47, freedom. We talk a lot about freedom. It's July 4th. How often does July 4th fall on a Sunday? Uh, that's, that's good that it would fall on a Sunday because it helps us to think through some things. We are going to, at the beginning and end of this service, we're going to observe both ordinances of a gospel-believing, gospel-preaching church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And both of them have direct implications for our salvation, understanding the gospel, and understanding why we do these things and why it's a big deal. And so when we go to John chapter 8, let me just set the stage for you because of what happened in the first part of that chapter. Jesus had been speaking to a crowd of people, and the crowd was divided, meaning some believed him, some did not, and so it was a mixed group of belief and unbelief. And then some officers went to the chief priests and the Pharisees to consult with them, and they said in chapter 7, verse 46, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. 
Well, of course, because it's Jesus, right? So that, that, that's, uh, that, that's to be understood. But then the Pharisees got involved, and they started to question Jesus themselves. And so as Jesus continued to speak to the crowds, as well as the rulers and the Pharisees, the Bible says in chapter 8 and verse 30, the verse right before where we're starting today, and you can read it, you can see it there with me, verse 30, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. But it doesn't say all. It's still a divided group. Many came to believe in him. So it's in this context that we consider today's passage because Jesus is now addressing the Jews who had, and I, I say this uh, as, as gently as I can, he's addressing the Jews who had allegedly believed in him. Okay? And, and here's why I say it that way. This is a very delicate subject because of an unfortunate reality. Matt Carter, who's a preacher in Texas, he wrote, uh, co-wrote uh, an, a commentary on the Gospel of John, and this is the way he would, would explain it. Not all claims to faith are genuine. Not everyone who says he's a believer in Jesus really is. So, with that being said, Follow along with me as I read John chapter 8, beginning from verse 31, down to verse 47. And here's what the Bible says. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We're Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, then you will be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. And they answered and said to him, Abraham's our father. And Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, then do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me, a man who's told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one Father, God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but He has sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your Father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks the lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you don't believe in me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. 
For this reason you do not hear, because you are not of God. Father, in Jesus' name I pray that you would speak so clearly to our hearts today that you give us understanding. And then, once we understand what you've said to us, I pray that you'll give us the strength and the motivation to be obedient. For Christ's sake, amen. So this passage, believe it or not, it's, it's kind of lengthy. It's made up of a few different paragraphs, but even as long as it is, it's only really broken down into two major sections. So we're going to look at those two today. The first one is this. Number one, true disciples find freedom in the truth of God. Read that again on the screen. Just, just look at it and read it to yourself. True disciples find freedom in the truth of God. You see, Jesus addresses the Jews with several conditional statements. And, and conditional statements are very important because they give you a condition and a result. And so if this happens, then this happens. If this is the case, then this is the case. It's pretty straightforward, very logical. So most men in the room that think logically, and I say that kind of humorously because typically, you know, women typically concentrate more emotionally and then logically, and men are just the reverse. For some reason, we're wired differently that way. But understand the, the clear logic here. If this is true, then this is true. It's pretty straightforward, right? So understand what Jesus says right from the beginning. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So there are several things that are true based on one condition. So what's the condition? Continue. Continue in my word. Here, here's what I want to tell you a personal experience that I've had uh, 18 years now being a pastor, and I've seen this. I can't count how many times I've seen this, whether it's with me or another pastor on a, a staff where I've served. Uh, a, a teenager, usually an older teenager, maybe someone in their early 20s, will come into the office and say, I need to talk to a preacher. I need to be baptized. We're like, okay, interest is peaked. Let's sit down. And here's the story, something like this. I got baptized when I was six years old, but I didn't really know what I was doing. And then last week I realized I was a sinner, and I got saved, and I need to be baptized. I've heard it over and over and over. The ages may be different, but the conditions are usually the same. What does that mean exactly? It means God began a work, and maybe we got ahead of him a little bit. You know, we could give all the right Sunday school answers. We could get all the questions. We could make 100 on the test. But that doesn't mean that the Spirit of God had changed our hearts. Does that make sense? Perfect attendance in Sunday school does not get you to heaven. Warm in the same spot on the same pew for 50 years in a church does not get you to heaven. The Spirit of God comes into us and takes over and changes us from the inside out. So our heart is different. Our desires are different. Our knowledge begins to grow. And as our knowledge grows, we want more and more and more to do what God says because we're becoming someone different. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. The new has come. That's what it looks like. But it's a process. 
It doesn't just happen all of a sudden and you're all of a sudden completely holy and sanctified and no problem with sin anymore. That's not how it works. Wouldn't that be nice? Wow. That would be great if it happened like that. But even the Apostle Paul, who had maybe the most lightning bolt experience ever of anyone we know of recorded in history, even he would write in his letters back to the churches he helped to start, God saved me and I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst sinner on earth. The Apostle Paul called himself the worst sinner on earth. So who... I don't have a chance then, right? He wrote half the New Testament because of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, if he's the worst sinner, then I'm in trouble. The point is it doesn't happen all at once. It's a process. And so God is continually changing us to be more and more like his son Jesus. So if you continue, that's why it's so important. A lot of people have emotional reactions because uh, the text of Scripture is so powerful and, and maybe there's tears that are shed, and maybe uh, at that moment you want to just charge hell with a water pistol. But that's not the ultimate reality yet. Does that make sense? It's a process. That's what I'm trying to get at. It's a process. So, so Jesus says, if you continue in my word, you are truly disciples of mine. D.A. Carson writes, True freedom is not the liberty to do anything we please, but the liberty to do what we ought to do. And it is genuine liberty because doing what we ought to do now pleases us. So I, I pray that more and more we will be pleased to do the things that please God. That, that's the goal. So people initially don't understand this ultimate source of truth and freedom. So Jesus, in our text today, explains that to us. After he sets that initial condition... They answer and say, well, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been enslaved. How can you say we're going to become free? See, they don't get it. They're thinking in human terms. Jesus is talking in spiritual terms. And so Jesus says in verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And the slave and the son, he says, have different rights and privileges. So if the Son makes you free, then you are truly free. Or he would say, free indeed. Another conditional statement. If the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. Do you remember the two sons of Abraham? One was born of a, of a slave. One was born of a free woman. Do you remember do you know that that is a conflict that's still happening today? The nations represented by those two family lines still at war. That's because Abraham and Sarah couldn't wait on God. Thought they had a better plan because they were thinking in human terms, not in spiritual terms. And so Ishmael, born of Hagar, born in captivity represents a whole family line. Isaac was born the son of promise, born of Abraham and Sarah. That's the, the free line. And those two have been at odds ever since. So when Jesus says here in this text, the slave and the son have different rights and privileges, 
He's trying to explain to us how those two things are, are different in their practical application, not just at a moment in time. So if the Son makes you free, then you are truly free because His whole family line is free because it's God's promise. So Jesus points to the actions of the people because He wants them to fully understand what He's saying. Because remember, the, the point here is that true disciples of Christ find freedom in the truth of God. So if we want to find true freedom, I mean, it is Independence Day after all. If we truly want to find freedom, then we need to find it in God's Word. That's where we find true freedom. And so we're not thinking in human terms anymore. Now we're trying to think in spiritual terms. So Jesus points these folks in this story to their actions to help them understand. What's the old saying? Actions speak louder than words. He tells them in verse 37, I know you're Abraham's descendants, but you're trying to kill me. So balance that in your checkbook. It doesn't. Because if you're Abraham's children, Abraham was the father of many nations, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So if they are Abraham's descendants, then wouldn't it make sense they'd be following that tradition? But they're not. Because they say we're Abraham's descendants, but they're trying to kill Jesus. So what does that say to us? Well, maybe faith, uh, maybe faith and favor with God and, and salvation, maybe that comes somewhere different than who my grandfather is. Remember I said a minute ago, perfect attendance in Sunday school won't get you to heaven? Sitting in the same spot in the same church 50 years won't get you to heaven? Well, guess what else won't get you to heaven? My grandfather was a Christian. Well, good for your grandfather. That means he's going to heaven. Has no bearing on you whatsoever. I can't get into heaven because my daddy was a good man. And quite frankly, my daddy can't get into heaven because he was a good man. He can get into heaven because he's saved by the grace of God. So understand it is an individual, personal relationship. If you want to uh, be in eternity with Christ, then that means you will surrender to Christ. And, and by the way, here's a little paradox. It's only by complete surrender that we find ultimate freedom. Isn't that interesting? Not a coincidence, by the way. So Jesus says, yeah, you say you're of Abraham, but you're trying to kill me. And the reason why is because my word has no place in you. Now, what did he say at the very beginning, verse 31? If you continue in my word, you are truly disciples of mine. And now he says, my word has no place in you. I'm speaking the things of my father, and you are doing the things of your father. Trying to open the eyes, but the light bulb has not yet come on. So Jesus explains the pathway to true freedom it's found in the truth of God. But number two, true disciples find truth in the Word of God. So we have the truth of God and the Word of God, and they're found in the same person and thing. Do you remember what Jesus would say a few chapters later in this same gospel? In chapter 14 and verse 6, the disciples were asking, where do we go? How do we know where you're going? We don't know the way where you're going. How, do we, how, how can we get there? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. So if that's the case, Jesus says He Himself is the truth. He is the living Word. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus Christ. He is the Word. He is the truth. He's the way. He's the only way. So Jesus is trying to explain to these people what they've missed. And, and there's a popular saying that I've used, I've come to use now, I kind of like it. He says, I can explain it to you, but I can't understand it for you. I can lay it out there, but you have to get a hold of it yourself, okay, to make it your own. So true disciples find truth in the Word of God. People initially have misplaced priorities. So they say in verse uh, 39, Abraham's our father. And so Jesus says to them, well, if you're Abraham's children, then you should be doing the things of Abraham. So what they thought was, translation, we're good because of our family tree. We're good. Okay? Not really. So Jesus points out the error in their logic. If, here's another conditional statement, if you really belong to Abraham, then you should do the deeds of Abraham. I've told you the truth, but you want to kill me. And Abraham didn't do that. So you're acting like your father. Translation, your father's not who you really think it is. It's like an episode of Maury. I mean, they're trying to wait for the DNA results. Who's the father? It's not who they think. They think they're good. And they're basing it all on a family tree. They're not basing it on the word and the truth of God. People typically think they're right and they don't let facts get in their way. Matt Carter, again, and his co-writer, Josh Redberg, would write it this way. We love sermons that agree with how we think. We don't like sermons that disagree with us. But to seek truth apart from Jesus Christ is inherently self-defeating because He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. You want to find the truth? You want to find the way? Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. And he's trying to explain this to them, and they just won't seem to get it. So he speaks the truth again into their misguided logic. He says, if God were your father, then you'd love me. Another conditional statement. He says, I proceeded forth from the father. I have come from God. I've not even come on my own initiative. God sent me here. You don't understand what I'm saying because you can't hear my word. And why can't they hear his word? Because they're not of God. They're lost in this um, fire insurance type of belief, which, by the way, is a complete myth. There's no such thing as fire insurance, spiritually speaking. Because if that's all you think it is, then it's not really what you thought it was to begin with. It's so much more than that. So Jesus says, I've come from God. I've not come of my own initiative. God sent me. You don't understand what I'm saying because you can't hear my word. And then he gets as, about as direct as you can get. No more um, analogies or comparisons. Now it's, you belong to your father, the devil. Doesn't get much more clear than that, right? If you didn't get it before, you've got to get it now. You come from the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. He speaks lies from his own nature. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. Not a lot of gray area in those statements. 
It just is what it is. That's who he is. He is everything that God is not. He's the opposite. He's the uh, antagonist of the story. He's the, the countercultural influence trying to lead you everywhere but where God wants you to go. So he is a liar. You see something in our culture or in the world that does not line up with Scripture, that means it's from the devil. Because the devil, that's his main mode of operation. Everything he does is anti what God wants. That's just how he operates. But he disguises it really, really well. So Jesus has been as blunt as he can be, and then he says, I'm speaking the truth, you don't believe me. None of you can find fault in me. That's what he says when he, when he uses that phrase. Who, can who of you can convict me of sin? Verse 46. Which one of you convicts me of sin? And then he said, that's a rhetorical question because none of them can. And then he says in verse 47, I'm sorry, 46, if I speak the truth, why don't you believe me? So he's making a statement None of you can find fault with anything I'm saying. So that means I'm speaking the truth. So if I speak the truth, why don't you believe it? Uh, I, I picture if it were someone that, that was not God in the flesh, like, you know, someone like me, I could just feel my anger, my, my, my frustration level just growing. I'm like, what's your problem? Just, I mean, it's right there. Just get it. They won't get it. I speak the truth, you don't believe me. You can't find fault in me. Why don't you believe the truth I'm speaking? And then the final sentence of verse 47, the final sentence of this paragraph, is really the, the most damaging indictment of who these people are and where they stand spiritually speaking. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them because you are not of God. He, he tried to be as direct as possible saying they're of the devil. You would think that would get their attention, right? But it still seems to fall short. D.A. Carson commented on this last section here. I want you to read this quote on the screen with me. Or just, let I me mean, follow along. Only the one who belongs to God Here's what God says. The conclusion is inevitable. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. And I would just like to say as we close this message, that should be a very sobering statement. If, if you even have a hint of a thought that it may apply to you, that should cause you to sit up and take notice. Something needs to happen here because I don't stand where I thought I stood or maybe I'm not in the place I thought I should, I thought I should be or thought I was because I thought I was you know, trucking right along in my spiritual life doing fine, but, but now maybe not. And, and so here's the, the, the ultimate question about this. This group of people that Jesus is addressing the group of people we sit among today, the world at large. Here's the question. Do you know Jesus Christ personally? And here's what I mean by that. Has there ever been a time in your life 
when you were convicted of your sinfulness by the Holy Spirit of God and you were shown the truth either by verbal uh, testimony by someone who shared the gospel with you or you understood because of reading the Bible that the only hope for forgiveness and salvation and eternal life is Jesus Christ. It's the only hope. Has there ever been a time when that's happened to you? Have you ever sat uh, maybe in, in tears and sorrow because you realize you have sin in your life and you are not who you're supposed to be and you didn't know what to do and maybe someone came along and loved you enough to tell you about Jesus and then you realize Jesus is my only hope. If I don't have Jesus, I don't have anything. But if I have Jesus, I have everything. If that's not the case... It really is that simple. See, people I've observed seem to push back against Jesus being the only way because they feel like, well, that's so exclusive. That why, I don't understand. Why is it just the only way? Well, it'd be different if there was only one way and we had to try and figure out what it was. But that's not how it works. There is only one way, and God showed it to us plainly. Hey, there's only one way for salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life. And guess what? Here it is. It's, it's right here. Come take it. It's free. It's a free gift because Jesus paid for it. Just take it. It really is that simple. So, we're preparing to come to this table and commemorate... You know what, why it says on the front of every one of these tables in every church? Do this in remembrance of me. We're, we're commemorating symbolically the breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood that he did on the cross to pay our sin debt, to reconcile us to himself, to bring us back into fellowship, restore what was broken. And so that's why this is so important. Baptism, we saw, is so important because it visually pictures I'm buried with Christ through baptism. I'm raised to walk in newness of life just as He was laid in a tomb and He's been raised up to walk in a new life. Old things passed away. New things have come. That's why this is so important. People, I believe, preachers maybe, stand up every week and talk about this story or that story or this is what happened to me. And, and that, that's, that's fine if it illustrates a point, if it leads us to, uh, to the message of the Scripture. But when it comes right down to it, there's just one source of truth for the Christian. It's this right here. It's the Bible. It's God's Word. It's, it's not ambiguous. It's not unclear. It's just God loved the world in this way. He sent His only Son that whoever, whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the truth of the Gospel. And, and so... <laughs> It almost, I don't want to, this is not funny, I'm not, not trying to make light of this, but I just don't understand why we make it so complicated. I, I just don't get it. 
Jesus saves. Period. And so when we come to this table to observe that, to remember that, uh, that's what we're remembering. And so just as a way of preparation before we go into this portion of the service, let me just add a word of uh, gentle warning. If, if you have not been saved by the blood of Jesus, if you haven't surrendered to Him to follow Him, then don't partake. And don't think less of yourself. Just understand, you're not there yet. And the Bible is very clear that this is for believers in Jesus. So if that's not you, observe. I pray you understand. I pray as you've heard the gospel today, as you've seen it visibly, I pray that the Holy Spirit will help you understand what it means to be a Christian. But if that's not you today, just observe. And we will love you. The Bible says if you participate in an unworthy manner in this observance, then you eat and drink judgment on yourself. And we don't want that for you. We're trying to, to love you and, and show you what it means to remember the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. So I, does that make sense? I, I want to make sure everybody understands what we're doing and why. As followers of Jesus, we are remembering that and, and why it makes such a difference. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.